Thank you, team. Sweet to be led in worship tonight, wasn't it? It is good. Well, welcome. If you are joining us at home Sunday morning, we are glad that you're with us. My Thursday night crew, I'm going to make an assumption and I'm just going to brag on you guys. I'm assuming that you're here on Thursday because you just can't wait until Sunday to get God's word. That's going to be my assumption. So not diminishing you Sunday morning crowd, but I get excited to be here Thursday night with y'all. Now, if it's just because you're going out of town this weekend, so you came early, that's fine. But let me live in my delusion for a little bit that you're just here because you couldn't wait to get God's word. So we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. And we're going to look at that. We're in this series on what it looks like to love well. And we've been trying to desperately impress upon ourselves the need to love one another. Spiritual maturity, maturity in Christ looks like being people who love with a real sincerity of content, not sort of a, just an idea, this, this sort of fuzzy idea of what love is, but, but a really concrete understanding of the nature of love and what it does. And so we're continuing forward in that today. But as we prepare ourselves for that, let me just do a little bit by way of kind of housekeeping or a little bit of an announcement I wanna make sure that you're aware of. So this is for all of us now at home here tonight. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, our baptism service is coming up September 13th. Now we're taking measures to make sure we can follow all protocols with that. So don't fear that, don't worry about that. If you've never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, whether you've been a follower for a day or for years, let me just encourage you, this year may be the year for you. We'd love for it to be the year where you proclaim your faith in Jesus. And I just, I wanted to share one thought with you about that, maybe to motivate you if you're hesitant or if for some reason you have not chosen to be baptized. I just wanna give you this one bit of motivation. Baptism, not only is it a statement of our union with Christ. You know, when we're baptized, we're making a declaration of our union with him, that his death is our death and that his resurrection, his life is our life. And we're proclaiming that physically to all who are there to hear it and to see it. And that's a great declaration. Our union with him is displayed in baptism. But more than that, it's also a statement, a declaration about our union with each other that we are united as a people in him. And I thought that was maybe a fitting reflection for us to think about as we're considering what it looks like to love one another all summer long. And now as we come at the end of that series then to a, a, a baptism Sunday where we have the opportunity or testimony about how God has saved through Jesus Christ and to declare it with that act of baptism. Uh, I was thinking about that. Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's not saying there's no such thing as a woman or a man. He's not saying there's no such thing as a Jew or a Gentile. He knows that there is. He's saying that all of those categories that might divide us now become secondary to the, the category that unites us, is that we are in Christ Jesus. And our baptism declares that. And when it declares that we are in Christ Jesus, it also declares that we are one, that everything that might divide us is now subsumed by the truth of who we are in him. And we are brought together across any line, across any division, across anything that might cause us to divide. What a time it would be for us to declare through baptism that we are one in Christ Jesus, that we have a union, not just with him, but with one another. So if, if that's you, if you've never been baptized, let me encourage you, Christ commands it. It's such a beautiful declaration. And so I wanna encourage you, be praying, be thinking. If you're moved and, and, and you're praying, you're, I, I need to be baptized, that's me. 
and you know it, just reach out to the church. Shoot us an email or shoot us a, a phone call at the office all week, anytime during the week, and we'd love to receive you. One of our pastors will return your call, that we'll get back with you, and we'll walk you through the steps towards being baptized. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that as baptism is coming up. I don't think I said the date yet, did I? September 13th, if I didn't say it already. September 13th is Baptism Sunday. So uh, you can mark that. Now that's a Sunday. Sorry, we are also gonna do baptism on, here on Thursday night service as well. So what is that, the 10th? Dan, hold up fingers for me. 9th? Am I seeing your fingers? The 9th, September 9th. I had to count back from 13th from Sunday to Thursday and I couldn't do it. All right. So here's, if you're able to stand, stand with me. I wanna play a little game. And if you're at home, do this with me. This is fun for the kids and fun for all of us. So if you're able to stand, stand with me. This little game I like to play during social distancing time called sit down if. All right, so practice round. Sit down if you went to public school growing up. Okay. <laughs> there, were, there were a few of us. All right, how about sit down if you had pizza at some point this week in the last seven days? All right, good. That's a good practice round. You get the idea. Everybody stand again with me. Let's do, now that we understand how the practice round goes, here's the real deal. Sit down if someone you love has ever caused you hurt. So pretty much all of us. A few of you are standing. You picked the right people to love. All right, stand up one more time. Stand up one more time. I'm sorry, this is it. I won't make you do it after this. And at home, I hope you're doing it. Sit down if someone you love has ever gone through something hard and you needed to go through it with them. And we got everybody that time. And I'm assuming at home we got you as well. Here's the point. What I'm about to tell you, you all need. We just proved it. So for none of us tonight, will we say, this is for somebody else. This is for me tonight. Everybody say, this is for me. This is for me. This is God's word for me today as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, particularly verse seven. And I wanna tell you that as we're moving through this chapter, what you're gonna find tonight is that as we're getting to the conclusion, Paul's kind of concluding words about love, it's gonna feel like the pace picks up almost. You can, you can picture Paul not just writing this, but preaching it. And if he were preaching this, his, his voice would start to go up and his, his pace would start to quicken. That's how I imagine it because you're gonna see that there's a bit of a rapid fire that he's gonna to get to. If he started out in kind of a methodical, now it's gonna to begin to pick up and we're gonna see uh, a pretty strong statement that he'll make to us tonight about the nature of love. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter three. It's our habit every week to read the entire passage up to the point that we're looking at. So let's do that again tonight so that we have our whole context. So beginning in verse one of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this, if I speak, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you see the challenge of this text that we look at today in verse seven? 
love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now let me just pray one more time for us. We've read the text now, and the challenge that comes to us today is to hear and apply God's word, and we need him to show us how. So let's let's go before the Lord just one more time here. Father, this is your word. Help me to deliver it rightly and well, to be faithful to its teaching. Help us to have ears to hear, those at home and those sitting here tonight. Let not one piece of this word move past us, but in the power of your spirit, cause us to catch it and to see it and to say yes to it and then to walk in it. Help us, Holy Spirit. We need you to do it. Help us to see the great weight of this. Let it not be lost upon us. Make our hearts tender before you to submit to your word. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we look at verse 7 now. And here's how I would frame or state the big idea of this text. These four, these four statements in verse 7. It's this. Love does not give up in the face of challenges. It's as simple as I think I can put the main point of this text. Love does not give up in the face of challenges. So here's what I want to do tonight. Let's look at the shape of the text, and I'll show you what I mean by that. I want to show you, just kind of walk you through these, these four phrases and show you that this text has a certain shape to it that helps us understand its meaning, that that meaning that I just gave you, love doesn't give up in the face of challenges, is what Paul is trying to communicate to us. And then after looking at the shape of the text, let's do two other things. Let's try to understand or answer the question, why love doesn't give up, why it, it endures, and then how it doesn't give up, which might be hopefully very helpful. If, if love doesn't do that, right, then how does it not do that? And look at some practical ways that we might walk in this. Now, here's the thing. I presume that you're picking up on the challenge of this text because every week we've come together and we've said things like love is patient and it's kind. And perhaps as we heard those things, you went, well, if I'm more patient than impatient, like it's a, if it's a 51% to 49%, perhaps I can say, I'm, I'm patient. That's good, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing pretty well, right? Or kindness, hey, if I'm like 55% kind and, and 45% not as kind, then I'm, I'm still doing pretty well. But here we come to this text, and do you see the challenge that he put these parameters around us where he said, love, what, bears all things, Right? If you have an NIV, it will say it always does this. Right? It always protects. It always trusts. That's the NIV's translation of this. Right? And so it's that all things that is really, really challenging us tonight. And I want you to see that and not miss it. So let's start here. Let's look at the shape of these verses, like I said. Now, there's a, there's a word when you're studying the Bible that, that uh, may prove useful to you, and it's a word called chiasm. And what that means is that certain verses have a certain shape that help us understand their meaning. A chiasm is simply this. We don't need to be fancy about it. It just means a set of verses or a verse that begins with an idea and moves in one direction, and then halfway through its train of thought, it reverses course and traces its way back to the original idea. So it begins and ends with the same idea, and then in the middle, what it does is the second thing that it says is 
parallel to the second to last thing that it says, so that it almost looks like the shape of an X, if that makes sense. So it begins and moves in one direction, and then it turns back on itself, and it starts back towards that same idea. This verse is one of those chiasms. And so it tells us, here's what we learn from that. Here's why it's important. Uh, it tells us that these are not four separate ideas that we need to think about when we think about what love is, that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The shape of this verse tells us that bears all things and endures all things, the first and last terms, are the same idea. In, in other words, they're telling us what Paul wants us to get. The big idea of this text is that love bears all things and, it do, and endures all things, and that's the same idea stated in a slightly nuanced way from one another. What that means then is that the middle verses are not just sort of, it's not just four things that happen to be put here, that it does this and love does that and love does this, but rather that then the middle things have a relationship to those outer things. So the outer things tell us the big idea, love never gives up in the face of challenges. It bears whatever, whatever comes, love bears it. Whatever comes, love endures it. The word for endure there is, is, uh, the word hupomeno, which literally means to remain. It stays in place. It doesn't go anywhere. It abides. It's that same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. In other words, stay connected, never let go, never stop, never give up. Paul is trying to help you and I see that this is the nature of love, that it remains no matter what. It fights to stay Whatever difficulty comes, it is willing to bear it so that it might fulfill its, its role, its job. Love has a job to do, and it can't do it if it doesn't remain, if it doesn't endure, if it's not willing to bear difficulty. And here's then what we see, the middle, the middle phrases, believes all things, hopes all things. That's how love endures. That those middle things are instruction to us about like, hey, love has to, has to stay in place. It has to fight to be present and not fade and not move down. And as it does that, well, how, how does it do that? It does it through believing and hoping. So that's what I wanna help you see tonight. How do I believe and hope so that my love might endure? You with me, church? All right. So we've talked about bearing and enduring love doesn't give up in the face of challenges. Now, those challenges can usually be seen in twofold. One, it may be a challenge that's produced by the person I love, that perhaps they commit sin against me or do something difficult, and, and bearing up, my love bearing up in the face of their hurting of me is a very hard thing to bear, to endure. The other challenge might be an outside challenge. The other way we might see this when Paul says, love bears all things, is that you might love someone who is going through the hardest moment, the darkest night of their life. And it's not because of you, but you're called to be in it with them and to not leave their side and to stay and to stay and to stay and to stay. When everyone else goes, you what, church? you stay. 
Those are at least two ways that, that Paul is thinking for us or helping us see what it means to, to bear and to endure, to never give up. No, let me give you this encouragement. This could seem like a kind of empty sentimentality as I, as I pondered this text all week long. I thought, you know, this sounds like something you hear in a movie. Love conquers all. Sounds like that kind of empty sentimentality that Disney offers us half the time, you know? Like, oh, you just love and it all will be well. It's gonna be great. Can I just assure you, this is not empty sentimentality because he's not just gonna give us this love conquers all. He's gonna give us the content of why love endures. And he's gonna tell us why in Christ and among Christ's followers, why love can bear all things and why it can endure all things. This was not gonna be empty sentimentality. And we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. But here's the encouragement. Church, what I've just told you is that the love that has been planted in you and I because of Christ is strong enough to overcome any obstacle. What is in you, in Christ Jesus, is a love that has been planted in you because you've been loved with it and now it stains you, it marks you, it overcomes you. And if it hasn't overcome you, you're not in Christ Jesus. But when it's overcome you, when it has conquered you, when that love is on you, it doesn't just sort of settle on the surface, it dives into your very heart and now then becomes a well of living water that pours out of you and you love with the love that was poured into you, not with your own love. And as that love pours out of you, that's the love. That's the, the not empty sentimentality. That love is powerful enough to overcome any obstacle. Now, let me address something that you're all thinking right now. Okay, so let's ask this question. As we talked about believing and hoping, and we come to that all things, all things, it bears all things, it endures all things. Does that mean there is no exception? Does that mean that a Christian can never fail to bear all things or endure all things? Can a Christ follower ever not put up with a challenge or a wrong done to them and perhaps separate? The point is not that there are no exceptions. I wanna say that. The point is not that there are no exceptions, but that where two Christ followers are willing to walk in love, and hear the mutuality of that, where two Christ followers are willing to walk in love, the power to overcome difficulty is present. Let me say that again. Where two Christ followers are willing to walk in love, there is no hurt, no obstacle, no difficulty that cannot be overcome. I'm saying that emphatically for a reason because we are prone to give up. And this text doesn't seem to call us to give up. It seems to call us to press forward and to endure. Now, here's the thing. I said there, this text doesn't mean there are no exceptions to that. We can imagine scenarios and situations. The text like Matthew 19, where Jesus talks about husbands and wives perhaps separating for specific reasons. You can imagine that those exceptions stated by our Lord are present and sometimes even necessary. But, but to begin with the exceptions rather than the rule about love misses the point. You, you take my meaning. To begin looking when the text says love bears all things and endures all things. And if my first approach to that text is to say, well, what are the exceptions to that? I have missed the point. 
The point is that it's love's nature to bear and to endure whatever the trial. And so to begin with the exceptions is wrong. You can imagine, I, I do a lot of weddings, and so you can imagine there's this moment in the wedding called a declaration of intent. And you may have had it at your wedding where the pastor, this is not the vows where you sort of repeat after me. Uh, this is the part where you say, I will or I do, right? And so I, I always begin with the groom and then I, I go to the bride. And you can imagine that I've stood in front of a lot of grooms and I've said, will you love and cherish and honor and provide and, and forsake all others? Will you? And, and his response is, what, church? I will. I will. Now, just imagine that if I said that and the groom looked at me and said, I will unless she does this. What would I say to him? I would say, well, first of all, you've just started off on a really bad foot. Time out. Let's go back. Let's have a conversation, right? The, the, the evidence there is that he has failed to understand what love is, what the, what the na very nature and heart of love is. It's not, I will, as long as she doesn't. It's, I will. I will. So let's look then at the, at the first question that we want to ask, okay? So we, that's the shape of the text, and hopefully it helps you. Hopefully you're tracking with me in terms of what the, the point now of our passage is, how those last two outside terms define for us its meaning, what we're trying to get at, and how the inside terms then will inform that. And we're going to look at those inside terms in a moment. But let's ask this question for ourselves. Why doesn't love give up? Because this is important. I want you, I, you know, at this point you might go, okay, love doesn't give up in the face of challenges. Got it. Got it, Trent. And that's nice to know that love doesn't do that. But naturally we want to ask the question, well, why doesn't it do that? And I just want to give you one reason why love doesn't do that. Here's why. Why don't two Christ followers give up on each other in the face of internal or external challenges? Why do they pursue at great cost for love to be maintained? Because our love for one another is an expression of Christ's love for us and his love does not give up. Because our love for one another is an expression of Christ's love for us. And I'm not just thinking husbands and wives here. I know that's where our minds tend to go, particularly if we're married. But I'm thinking within the body, Christ's love has not given up on you. Somebody say amen to that. No matter your failures, no matter your flaws, no matter how many times you fall back into that pattern, Christ's blood has covered your sin and he forgives you. And he, sh he showers mercy upon you. And our love for one another is not, is not just a, uh, aimed at making one another happy. I don't love you so that you will feel good and happy. And you don't love me so that I will feel good and happy. I love you so that Christ's love will be on display in a tangible way for the world. And you love me so that Christ's love will be on display in a tangible way for the world to see. Which is why his, his call to love can be a command. It's why he can command it because he's saying, I, I'm not telling you to do this because it makes you feel happy or the person you love feel happy. I'm telling you to do this so that the world can see what my love is like. This is why, his, this is why our love is to be stained with, marked with this permanence, this endurance, 
this bearing of whatever challenge may come internal to the relationship or external to it. Our loved one gets the cancer diagnosis. We are there every day. We never leave. We don't forsake. We walk alongside. Bear each other's burdens, whatever they may be. So we're never alone. We're never alone. We do that because our love is a demonstration of Christ's love, not a humanly given love aimed at human happiness. Now, can I tell you that a wonderful byproduct of loving with Christ's love is human happiness? Do you know that? His glory and our good. What a good God. So that's why love doesn't give up. We always talk about theological reasons, right? And I never want to be too heady or sort of pie in the sky, but I always want to make sure we understand that theological reasons are what matter most. When I say theological reasons, I mean, who is God and what does who he is determine in how we live? Theological reasons trump all when it comes to understanding why we do what we do. They're what stand because God's nature doesn't change. And therefore, a theological reason, a reason rooted, a reason for doing something that is rooted in the very nature of God is always a reason that you will have that will never change, which is why we try and point to theological reasons for doing this. Not just your life will be better if you do this, but always because this is who he is. And yes, your life will be better if you do this. So that's our first question. Why doesn't love give up? Second question, how does love keep from giving up? And we've already alluded to this, but now we want to unpack it a bit. How does love keep from giving up? It believes all things and it hopes all things. Our middle terms, right? So in other words, there's something that we can do so that our love will be an enduring love. And so let's look at those. Now, I already said this is what prevents this from being an empty sentiment and launches it into something which can be done, actually done. In Christ, love really can overcome any challenge it faces because Christ provides two things. He provides both the definition of love and the power to make it so. So Christ comes in when we're talking about the kind of love that bears and endures, that never gives up. We're talking about a kind of love that is his love. He defines what it is, and then he gives the power by which that love may be exercised, which is very different than when we you know, watch that movie where there's the sort of empty promises or empty sentimentality about how we just are soulmates and we're just going to love each other forever because we just get giddy around each other and the warm fuzzies never go away and that's all silliness, okay? We know that. So here's the thing. These middle terms now, let's just take them one at a time. Believes all things. Now here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that love is gullible, or that it naively thinks the person that I love will never let me down. It's a bit of an awkward phrase. Love believes all things. In other words, it almost sounds like, well, if I love somebody, then I'll just, just kind of believe that they're perfect or something, or that I'll always believe that they, they just nailed it or, or whatever. Now, that's not what this term is getting at when it says believes all things. The NIV, I think, does a good job here with their translation where they say always trusts. Love always trusts. And that's really the heart of this term. The term is the same term for coming to faith in Christ. It's this word pisteue, pisteue. And it means to have faith or to believe, to, to trust. And so when, when we see this word here, and it's, it's the mirror, it's the, the word used for what it means to even have faith or belief in Christ. In other words, there's this idea of trust. To intentionally 
put, not because they will never let me down, the person I love, the object of my love, or the, the body that I love, but it's a choice to intentionally put ourselves in a position of vulnerability. Here's what trust is. To intentionally put yourself in a position of vulnerability by depending on the other person to do what is right and good. To trust is to put yourself in a position of vulnerability so that if the other person chooses to not do what is right and good, you will be harmed. You will get hurt. It's not trust otherwise. So I always love this exercise. One of my pastors taught it to me. I found it helpful, so I'll, I'll remind you of it. I think I've done it before. This is a stool. And when we think about trust, there's maybe no better sort of object, visual lesson for me than this, right? If I stand here next to the stool and I say, I trust this stool to hold my weight, but I, ne- but I never move toward If I just stand here, do I trust the stool? I can say I trust the stool, but do I trust it? Well, the answer is no, right? What about if I, if I do this? I trust this stool. If you came up here and ripped this out from me, I've been working out, so my legs are pretty strong, so I, you know, would I fall? No. I'd even say, I trust, I trust the stool. Kind of looks like I trust the stool, doesn't it? I really should have had somebody come up here and rip this thing out. That would have been pretty amusing. Right? I trust the stool. Which one of those is trusting the stool? It's the last one, isn't it? It's when I put the full weight of myself on it. That's when I trust the stool. To trust Christ is to put the full weight of our life upon him. It is to say, if if this isn't true, I am done. I will be devastated. I've put all my hopes, all my weight, everything about my life and my eternal future, I have put it on Jesus. There's nothing, if he's not God, if his death and resurrection did not occur, then I am, as Paul said, of all people most to be pitied. It doesn't matter if it made me moral. It doesn't matter if it made me kind. It doesn't matter if it made me smart. None of that matters because at the end of the day, it's, it's a lie. Have faith in Christ is with the full weight of my life upon him. Now, when the scripture says here that love believes all things, or to use the NIV's translation, always trusts, it's declaring to us this is what it looks like when you love someone. I make myself vulnerable before you. If you choose to do what is right and good, I will be okay. If you choose to not do what is right and good, I will be harmed. It is the nature of love to risk that. Now, friends, let me speak one more thing about that. The reason that we can trust each other as believers, the reason we can put weight upon one another and say, 
you have to choose to do what is right and good. I'm trusting you to do that because I love you. And that's my expression of love to you is to to put my weight on that. The reason we can do that, even though we know, do we know that at some point someone will intentionally or unintentionally end up pulling that stool out from underneath us? Do we know that? Because there's no perfect person. That will happen. Now, that's no argument for being the person who pulls the, pulls the stool out. Please earn the trust of those who are putting the weight of their trust upon you. Earn it. Stop pulling the stool out from underneath them. But when we do that, we know at times the stool will get pulled out. Do you know why you can still do it? Why you can come back and then st- sit on the stool again? Do you know why you can do that? Because ultimately, your trust is not in the person that you love. It's in Christ himself. Your declaration of trust is not in the person, it's in Christ. That when you, are, when you fall, he will take care of you. He's enough for you. The message, which is Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the scriptures, and it, it, it's a good one. It's not, it's not a good one to refer to as your primary scripture that you're studying, but it's a great little side resource because some of the phrasing really comes to life in some of our modern day language. And you know how he translates this when it says, believes all things, right? Um, his, his way of saying that is he actually says, NIV says, always trust. He says, love, always trust God. Because I think he's getting at the point. It's not that you trust each other first. You ultimately put your trust in God. Therefore, you can put your trust in the person who God has called you to love. And so when you do that, you are demonstrating trust in God, knowing hard things may come. Now, can I just, I just wanted to make this really practical here for a moment. Look, here's what COVID has done something for us or to us, however you want to see it. It has, it has really placed a challenge in front of us of trust. It has really placed a challenge in front of us in trust. And in, in, in probably in our marriages, in our body, because we have different opinions all over the place, right? About masks or no masks, or is, is there some political agenda behind this, or is it not? And, uh, you know, it, how, how cautious should I be? How, how not cautious? And because we have these differing perspectives on this, uh, we, we, I have seen that our mistrust of one another has grown rather than our trust of one another. I just want to cry out to you, church, above convincing people that your perspective on this pandemic is the right perspective, above convincing them of that, you are called to love each other. You are not called to convince each other about anything related to the pandemic. You're not. I find nowhere in Scripture that it's like, convince me that this is what's true about this specific situation we find ourselves in. Do you know what I see again and again? Love each other, love each other, love each other. And I'm telling you right now that this tells me that if you love each other, you will trust each other and you will fight to reestablish trust when you've broken it. And friends, we are called to do it by God, not by me, but by the Lord. I'm begging you to, to be the kind of people who will establish trust within a body together. And the only way I know to help you do that is to say, defer to one another. Defer to one another. Look, friends, if you're with someone who says, I, I feel cautiousness over this for whatever reason, whether you think it's legitimate or not, love them and defer to them. 
they're not trying to make a political argument. They're just, they're just asking you to love them by, by serving them and sacrificing something. Can you sacrifice for one another? Please. The world is watching, watching. They're watching. I'm begging you. Love each other. I don't care masks, if you like them, if you don't like them. I don't care what your opinion is about schools restarting and what should be done about this or that. I Honestly, I don't care whether how you think about what we should be doing as a church, about how we gather and when we gather. We're going to do our very best to love you all well, to love the Lord and to love you and to love our neighbor. We're going we're gonna to do our very best to do that. And if you disagree with our choices, that's okay. Our choices are not perfect. That's fine. You can even tell me you don't like the choice we made. But what you can't do is not love. You don't have a choice. Love each other. And loving each other means, with an enduring love, means trusting each other. I will trust that you are fighting to do what is good and right. Will you trust one another? Amen, sister. So let's look at the next thing. Hopes all things. Now, that's an odd phrasing, right? I mean, it's an odd phrasing. Hopes all things. What does that, what does that mean? Like puts hope, in all, puts hope in everything? No. Hope all things was probably better if we say it always hopes. It never loses hope. So here's how I might say what Paul means when he says it hopes all things. It means making all of my decisions through the certainty that God is going to make all things right and new one day making all my decisions with the certainty that God is going to make all things right and new one day. So look, here's the thing. By choosing to trust, how does that, the thing we just looked at, how does trusting, always trusting one another, how does that help love to endure? Well, you can probably kind of read between the lines or connect the dots at least and go, oh, if I'm continually and perpetually looking to reestablish trust when it's broken, to choose trust even when it may not feel warranted, if I'm choosing to keep placing the weight of my trust upon someone, what that does is it, it sustains the relationship. It keeps it going. There is no relationship without trust. You guys understand that, right? There's no real relationship without trust, right? And so then the other side of that then is almost like if trust is the in the moment, do this now. What Paul is telling us is, look, you want to love that, that will not stop in the midst of challenges and difficulties, then you have to have a fixed point of hope to say so that you can have confidence that, look, whatever's going on now, it doesn't have the final word. The final word over sin and death will be had by Jesus because of his resurrection. Because I have a fixed hope, I know that that is what will take place and I can live in light of that now. So let me give you kind of two ways that works itself out. This certainty makes us able to love each other because not only is any sin committed against me paid for at the cross, so the penalty of that, what was done against me, is paid for already, thereby calling me to forgive. It also tells me that the future the cross has guaranteed means the impact that sin has on me will not last forever. So here's why hope is so powerful. Because when someone sins against me and abuses my trust or misuses my trust, and I, I'm tempted to not let that love endure. I'm tempted to stop loving in light of, because of that. Here's what having a fixed hope does, is it says whatever harm that sin caused me, 
will not last forever. It will be undone. Not only is the penalty for what was just done to me already paid for by Christ Jesus, for by that other person who's in Christ, it's forgiven and done. Not only is that true, it's also true that its effect on me will not last or endure forever. If you have young kids, you know what this is like when, when they get hurt. They, they come screaming and crying. And, and to them in that moment, it feels like this, this pain is never going to stop, right? Have you had that moment? And it's a tough one as a parent because you're holding them in your arms and you're thinking, they literally, I'm, like, they think that they're going to be hurting this way for the next week or two weeks or three weeks. And you sit with them and you, and you rock them and you, you pat them on the, the back and you say, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And over time, what happens? The pain fades, right? The pain goes away. It doesn't have the final word. And because we have a fixed hope purchased by the cross, whatever pain sin causes to us, do you know that it's not going to last forever? Do you know that? It will not. It cannot. Whatever it does to you will be undone. And then the last, the the last thing that hope does for us is whatever devastating circumstances I might go through with those that I love will not have the final word on our lives. God will make it all right and new one day. And knowing that makes it possible to get through it without giving up on the person I love. How do I walk through that scary diagnosis with someone all the way to the end, enduring with them and not giving up? How do I do that? I do it because I know no matter what, the final word will be had by Christ. The final word will be had by Christ. And I, I live in light of that future hope. So hope and trust. That's how you have a love that endures. So then let me just offer very simple thoughts. Two last very simple thoughts, and then we're going to wrap up for the night or the morning for those who are with us Sunday morning. So how do I grow? How do I grow? If I, if I, if I have to have trust and I have to have hope, and that's how I'm going to, have a love that doesn't quit, that doesn't give up in the midst of challenges. How do I grow those? I'll give you one thing for each of them, trust. Here's how you grow trust, the simplest, most straightforward way. You recount God's faithful acts in your life to someone else. Just talk about God's faithful acts in your life to someone else. God commands throughout the Old Testament in particular, but really throughout all Scripture, he commands his people to remember. Remember what he's done. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, you shall remember, God says to Israel, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, what's interesting about that is keeping the Sabbath day was all about trusting God. To keep the Sabbath day meant to say, I'm not gonna provide it for myself. I'm gonna trust God's gonna do that. So I'm resting. When I'm resting, who's working? God is working. He's sustaining life. He's providing for me. And so I rest so that I don't become... Uh, I don't start to think that it's me that's providing for me, but that it's God that's providing for me. So it's interesting, right, that he says, remember, remember what I did, Israel. And then as a result of remembering, you will trust. You will keep the Sabbath. You will display trust. So friends, you want to grow in trust so that you have a love that endures and bears all things? Recount God's faithfulness. Do you remember God's faithfulness? Do you talk about it? Don't stop talking. But don't, don't ever let it get old to talk about the time that God did the thing. Just talk about it. God did that. I remember. God did Because here's the thing, when you stop talking about it, do you know that over time you stop thinking it was a very big deal? You start minimizing it. 
And then if you start minimizing, you start, you start thinking maybe there were natural causes for it. Like there was something, well, it was kind of, maybe it just was the circumstances. Maybe it just kind of happened. No, that's a fool's direction. It was God. Give him credit. Then the, the last thing, hope. How do I grow hope? That's how I grow trust, one way. Here's one way to, to grow hope. Just make the next right choice. What, wherever you are, tell yourself, I have to do the next right thing. Remember that every right choice you make is growing your capacity to feel hope. Every right choice you make grows your capacity to feel hope. You want to know how I know that? Romans chapter 5, verse 4. Listen to what it says, or beginning in verse 3. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And what does character produce? Hope. The rest of the verse, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is an awesome verse. What I want you to see is that Paul is making a connection there for you and I between character and hope. And he's saying when you develop your character, godly character, then hope grows. So you want hope to grow. What do you need to develop? Godly character. That means do the next right thing. Make the next right choice. Never minimize. I mean, think about this. Tomorrow, when you go to work, tomorrow, when you're in your home, if you choose to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing, you are not just doing something good. You are causing your capacity to experience the hope of the resurrection to grow. And as your experience of the hope of the resurrection grows, you will grow in your ability to love with an enduring love to have a love that bears all things and never gives up, no matter the challenge. My friends, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Love with an enduring, bearing love. Let's pray. We love your word, Father. How good it is. May it resonate like a, like a tuning fork in our hearts tonight. Help us to see it. And Lord, I have no doubt that as, as um, those who are hearing this on the Sunday morning and, and those who are hearing this tonight have no doubt that your spirit is at work pointing out situations, drawing their attention to specific relationships within this body, perhaps within their home, and there is work to be done there. And I pray that you would do it. And I pray that they would surrender to you doing it, that they would trust you, they would find their hope in you, and that in doing that, Lord Jesus, as their trust and their hope, are immense and fixed upon you, that their love would grow. Amen.